Partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our, our confidence in the boast of our hope, firm until the end. Let's pray. Lord, your work is good and it endures. It can be seen in the ages and can be seen even today as you are redeeming people and building your house, your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for that work and we thank you for the mercy and patience you have shown and continue to give. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us during this day that as we study and as we sing, that we would praise, that as our knowledge grows, our love and our service in your kingdom grows, and we would stand firm in this world against whatever may befall, knowing that your kingdom is good and it endures. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All help King Jesus, all help Emmanuel. 
couple of updates. Um, actually, let me check on one because I didn't get a chance. Mike hasn't passed that stone, has he? Yeah, if, if, he, if he doesn't pass it by, by tomorrow morning, he goes at 11 a.m. to remove this one. <laughs> if he was a horse, I think they would have at this point. And depending on the day, he might actually agree with you. That should be what happens at this point. I mean, he has his good days and bad. They the uh, the analysis was inconclusive as to what's causing them, so they still not they're still not sure. They're just calcium deposits. Well, no, it's it's calcium deposits, so it's not made out of anything specific. So as of right now, they don't know what to tell him. There's a possibility of some medication they can give him that will prevent these, but they want to get this one removed before they start him on the medication. Of course, the problem with that was they removed the last one, and this one was formed by the time he got home. So <laughs> man can't win for losing at this point. So. Remember him? Sam uh, came home from the hospital doing well. When I tried to call him and speak to him, he was already gone for lunch. Somebody had come by, pick, uh, picked him up, and taken him to lunch. So he's moving around. He says he feels much better. So apparently this was an issue from the time the valve was done. So who knows? 
So pacemaker seems to be in, seems to be working. You know, it hasn't been zapped across the room by it. So, you know, pray for long life and batteries, I guess. Um, missions project stuff. I did not get it printed out this week because I figured it's the end of the month. We'll start fresh next month. But we have uh, backpacks. And I think we are off to a start on some hats. So we'll get the list of backpacks like we did last year. We'll get them posted out here. And again, I'll ask, unless you can get like a bulk of something, like all the hand sanitizer, try to at least just do a backpack. That way we can get multiples done, and that way we, we don't have like 20 of them half completed. If we end up with that again, we will make it work. I'm just putting that out there at the beginning. It makes it a little, a little easier for shopping and to try to do a backpack at a time. Our goal is going to be to try to get around 100 or more backpacks. So once we get to 100, we're at gravy. At that, that point, it's just see how many we can get put together. We're, we're going to be doing this through October more than likely. And maybe by October we'll be able to get to the mission or Kathy will be able to have her group downtown. If not, we'll just drop them off and go from there. But I'll get that list out to you guys next week for stuff if you want to be able to put together a backpack. And again, some of you guys are more frugal than I even imagined. You got under 20 bucks a backpack. So how, I have no idea. But God bless you. So you can get that worked out. You are good. Is there anything else I'm forgetting? Because that's all I have on my list. Uh oh Thank you. Um, those of you that are using the uh, the pray.com app, is anybody that's not getting any of the prayer updates? You don't get notifications. See, I was in the same boat. I didn't get the notifications of the prayers, but I got their notifications, so I just turned them off and I check it daily now. So you don't get them either. If you check the app, do you get are, are the prayers up there? Some of them. So we we may have to come up with a different system because we're having this. This seems to be a universal problem. So I don't know what we'll come up with. We maybe have to talk about that at council and see if we can figure something out and maybe go back to the old system of, you know, bulk texts again. But yes, sir. I've... Oh, no. Everybody's getting tested, right? It is. So, from, so have they got that scheduled? Are they going to do that? Are they going to do the uh, take the appendix, or have they already? They did? All right, good. Yeah, I say usually they don't wait once they realize it's got to go. They do that as quick as possible, so. So now just praying for good test results and, you know, put, put, start putting plastic up in the house, right? <laughs> Segment everyone off. So, yeah, remember Judith, because depending on how that goes will depend on how her travel plans change. Ay, ay, ay. I'm going to be glad when this is over, whenever that is. Um, any, do what? November? <laughs> I keep hearing that. I'm to the point now, you promise? You promise? You mean it? Honest? Ugh. Um. You guys are traveling next week. How's your foot doing? I see you have a shoe on. I know, yeah. You're not supposed to do that. Well, you didn't hurt anything, did you? Did you hurt it again? Okay, well, then, as long as the bone in the leg is not twisted, we're all right. <laughs> see, there you go. We're not worried about the ankle. You've got to worry about the part that broke. 
Nah, ankles are overrated. You don't need those. <laughs> we just take those off and put your shoes on. Put your shoes on the leg. You'd be good to go. So, all right, but yeah, don't fall. That's like rule number one with crutches. Don't fall. <laughs> don't do that either. If you fall here, we're not we're not liable. <laughs> um, there you go. <laughs> In the book of Hebrews, we are told to throw off or get rid of what? Sin. No, every encumbrance slash hindrance, depending on your translation, and the sin that so easily entangles us. This is your sanct. This is well, one of them. This is one of your sanctification verses. You don't just oh, I'm in Christ. I don't have to worry about anything, and I skip across. No, you have work to do. Just like you were working for your former master, you are now walking for your new master. You are walking in righteousness seeking to put to death the deeds of the flesh, to walk in the newness of life, in the spirit, seeking to do good in God's kingdom and work. Why? Because his love has been shown upon you and you are now changed. You love God, therefore you love his people, and you love your work and service of his kingdom. Hence, the warning, get rid of the sin as actively and positively as you can and walk in newness of life. Will you succeed 100%? No. What is your call? To continue that walk. We do not get rid of sin because it saves us. We try to get rid of sin because we are saved. There's a difference between those two things. All right. Don't say this out loud because it's going to pop in your brain and somebody's going to just blurt it. So what nationality was Hagar Sarai's maidservant? Bing! Mm -hmm. Reason for the question. It's good for you. It's easy, I know. But Helpful little prayer prompts, again, get you thinking about Scripture, thinking big picture on Scripture, and thinking how you can pray along with what you learn in Scripture. There's the goal. And by the way, if you're wondering how long we're going to go on this, hold on one sec. I double-checked. We are on card 13 of my trivia questions. I have 300. <laughs> so if I've, I've done the math, I have enough questions for one a week for the next 42 years. <laughs> so we're good. So I probably won't live that long. So, yeah, we'll... You you go for it. You have fun with that. So we have we have questions forever. So if, if whoever's left after I'm gone, just go grab the game and, and just pick up. I have a I have a spreadsheet that keeps track of which ones we've asked. So it, I am that weirdly organized. So anything else I'm forgetting? Yeah, just bug Jonathan, right? There you go. Anything else I'm forgetting? Going once, going twice. All right, I am going to stop rambling so that we can stand and sing. Wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have life in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. The joy o'er my soul, like the sea billows roll, since Jesus came into my heart. I have ceased from my wandering, going astray, since Jesus came into my heart. And my sins, which were many, are all washed away, since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, 
Thence Jesus came into my heart. The floods of joy o'er my soul, like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart, I am going to hope that is set back to shore. Since Jesus came into my heart, and the dark clouds of doubt found my pathway to shore. Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart. But the joy of my soul, like the sea bones rolled, since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart. You guys know when I blow a song, I got to do it to next week. So that first one, I will, we will be doing it next week, <laughs> and hopefully correctly. I know your Wish I could see the angel faces when they hear your sweet voice sing. 
Forgot to put the tape on there this morning, and if I forget that, what ends up happening is I, I catch it on something, and next thing you know, I strangle myself, and at least it'd be entertaining, right? But it doesn't feel good. Is exactly right. All right, let's see. Nothing, nothing but usefulness this morning. We're going to dive right in so that I don't sit here and ramble as is my habit. So that's not right. <laughs> the computer is fighting back today. It's going to be, yeah, we're getting warmer. All right, we'll just go on. It'll catch. There it is. Let's see. When last we left Moses, he had been commissioned by God. Moses had asked some questions. God had reminded him of the presence of himself. So Moses is told, you will go and you will come back and be back at this mountain. Now, we are going to uh, pick up a little bit, but we're also going to move the focus. Last week was primarily on Moses and his responses. This week we're going to go a little bit higher and we're going to get away from Moses and worry more about God. The problem with that for us today, this gets into your head quickly. And what I mean by that is there's no geography, there's no travel log, it's ideas and concepts, which means we have to be careful in drawing lines from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's, that's the hard part. The good part is we get to actually anchor into the text and draw some clear lines from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But we're going to do it all up here. <laughs> so that means you're dependent on me being careful and clear in speech, which means you're doomed. And I understand that and appreciate the difficulty of this, but we will get through it as quickly as possible and as easily as possible. The goal when we are done, see the consistent work, knowledge, and power of God on display in this. So... With all of that said, my papers will stop arguing with me. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
This is my name forevermore, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now, please, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go, except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, and the woman who lives in her house, articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters, thus you will plunder the Egyptians. Hmm. See? No, no travel today. Just a bunch of concepts, but we're going to make sense of them, I promise. So rewind all the way back to the beginning here. Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. This is a good start. This We're going. This is happening. We're, we're not vacillating any longer. We're no longer, you know, contemplating. We're going. Good. And we're even going to remember what you said even better. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Got to make sure right here we understand this question. And what I mean by that is you're going, it's a simple, straightforward question. What's your name? We're doing this in light of the context that we have covered. Who remembers our big question from last week? Don't make me sing again. I will do it. <laughs> Remember, what did Moses ask, the, ask last week? Who am I? Now he's asking, who are you. This is not a just give me a name, like Bob. Bob has sent you to the Israelites. No, this is, an this is a question of an explanation. We know I'm nobody. If you're nobody, guess what? We are in trouble here. And the reason why we're going to frame this question like this is because of the answer and because of the history. So if you rewind, we already know who God is. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 3. The heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. In Genesis 2, 1 through 3, every time you read the word God, you're reading the word Elohim. He is Elohim, the one God. It's a Hebrew word, kind of a declaration of the one God. But Genesis continues in verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. This is important. Um, we won't have it here. We'll have it in a second, so remind me to point it out to you. This doesn't do it very well, and I wish that it did, the, the program that puts these verses up here. If you've, and I've said this before, I will say it again because it's helpful. If you read in your Bible, verse 15, if you ever have, the NASB does this, I like it. I think the NIV does this as well. I didn't check if the King James does it or not. 
The word Lord is all capitals, but it's not bigger. It's kind of shrunk in capitals. Every time you see that, you're seeing what's in Genesis 2-4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made heaven and earth. Everywhere you see that lower capitalized Lord, it's the name of God. It is Yahweh. So in Genesis 2-4, the Elohim of verses 2, 1 through 3 are identified as Yahweh Elohim, the one God who has done this work. This is more than a name. This is a descriptor as well, and we'll see that in just a second. All right. Fancy philosophy time. You ready? And yes, I'm required by law to do this because my brain won't let it any happen anyway. In theology, the way we phrase this is that God possesses a aseity. It's a fun word to say. It impresses your friends at parties. Aseity. And if you say it with a stiff lip, a stiff jaw like you're British, it sounds cool. You say, I have a aseity. What does that mean? It means self-existence. You, me, every human being you have ever met is a dependent being. We are only here because God made Adam from the dust of the ground, breathed life into his nostrils, and he has completed that miraculous work in subsequent generations. I mean, how does reproduction actually occur? I don't mean the mechanism of it, but I mean, how does it actually work? And science doesn't really know either. That's the continuing work of God. We are dependent upon that work to exist. If God decided you weren't breathing anymore, what would happen? You're not breathing anymore. You now cease to exist, at least in this form and fashion. God is not like that. He has a aseity. He has within himself the power of self-existence. Hence the reason, the answer to the question, who made God? No one made God. God simply is. There was not a time when God was not. There is not going to be a time when God will not be. He is the self-existent one. He is the source of all life because he himself is life. Confused yet? (laughs) If not, we can try harder. (laughs) This matters to the world that we live in because this kind of puts life in perspective. Uh, Case in point, book of Job. Remember Job, living the good life, worshiping God, doing well. What does God do? God allows Satan to basically tempt him and tear him down. And what does Job then do? Argues with his friends for uh, about 35 chapters. Well, he, he argues with his friends first. He doesn't argue with God because when God shows up, what does he say? Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? This is God's response to Job. Now gird up your loins like a man. That is never good when God tells you that. Never good when God shows up and says, put your big boy pants on. That's not going to end well. I will ask you and you will instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements? Since you know. Who stretched the line? What were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. In other words, God's point to Job is, who do you think you are? Remember what Exodus is proving is proving who God is and really asking the question of Pharaoh, who do you think you are? This matters because what is Moses asking God right now? Who are you? What are you? What are you going to do about this? That matters because it makes sense of the answer we get in verse 14. God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Literally, it is, I am who is. I am the one who is. I am the one who am. I just am. Aseity in action. See, this is important because if you're a human being, does that make any sense? I mean, unless you're Popeye. You know, I am that I am. In which case, you're either talking about self-existence or vegetables. I have never really decided. Oh, come on. It's a yam joke. <sighs> you guys hurt my feelings because you never laugh at the jokes. I appreciated that. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Wait a minute. Oh. Uh, i got to start thinking about that. <laughs> Humanly, this doesn't make any sense. I just, I am that I am. I am who is. But eternally, it gives you a perspective. God is the one who is. Who was and is to come or will be. Psalm, ver, uh, Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to them in the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Colossians 1 takes this idea and makes sure you understand it is applied to Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things are created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, in our context, excuse me there, why does this answer matter? If God simply is, he is the one who is, he is capable of standing up no matter what the earthly power he is going up against. That's the reason the answer is what it is. Remember, we have dueling battles going on here in Exodus. Israel versus Egypt is not the fight. God versus Egypt is not really the fight. It's what we call a proxy war. It's a battle being fought on behalf of something else. This is God redeeming his people. This is an image of the battle of God against sin. Think through what you've got going on in the, in the verses here. Egypt is big. They are the power. God's bigger. Egypt is the most powerful nation on earth. They have the army. They have the land. They have the resources. They have the people. They have it all. God has eternal might and is the almighty. He is more powerful. Egypt wills. When Egypt wants to take over a country, what do they do? We go take it over. When Egypt wants to enslave the Israelites, even though they're numerous in number, what do they do? They enslave them. When they want to kill their children, what do they do? They kill their children. When they want to give them more work, what do they do? They give them more work. They will it, and it comes to pass. No, it doesn't. God wills it, and it comes to pass. And if you'd like, if you haven't been tortured enough by children and grandchildren, we can put this to song. Because what we're basically saying right here in this answer is, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. And if you've never watched Veggie Tales, you should. It's good for you. That's actually one of the songs, Where is God When I'm Afraid? What's the point? God's bigger than any evil you might face, from a child's perspective. But what is God literally telling Moses? Because this is Moses' question. i got to go stand before Egypt. I'm me, and we've already established that that's pretty useless here so who are you oh <laughs> gotcha you're him gotcha now we got somewhere verse 15 
God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is where it is. Oh, it does it on the screen. It did it this time. Okay. I need a pointer. No. Third line. You see it right there, right? Capitalized Lord. What is he saying? I am Yahweh, Elohim. I am Yahweh, the one God. This is the expansion. Moses is getting the declaration. This connects you from Exodus all the way back into Genesis and all the stuff that happened in Genesis in between to get you to this point. Now, if you want to fast forward, this is why you had all those I am statements when we went through the Gospel of John. What was Jesus hearkening back to? He's hearkening back to this initial moment, the deliverance of God's people. What is Jesus' ministry to do on earth? Bring deliverance to God's people. The deliverer is pointing back to their national deliverance, showing them that as God was at work amongst his people then, in the work of Jesus there, he is at work even in the midst of that. This is my name forevermore, and this is my memorial name to all generations. That's one of the saddest verses in the whole book right there. How many of you, every time I say Yahweh Elohim, your brain kind of goes like that? Why don't we do that? Like, does, any, does anybody know their history as to why we actually trans, translate it like that as the Lord? Because it's not Christian. It's Jewish. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. How did they keep that commandment? Because let's be honest, how do you keep that commandment? You know how most of us typically try to keep that commandment? We don't curse with the word God. Well, it's not the man's name. And I'm using the term man very loosely there. Don't, don't, don't hang me for that one. <laughs> it's not his name. It's a, it's a description. It's a description. It's a title. That's like saying, Mr. Doesn't matter how I use it, it doesn't work. How did Israel keep the commandment? I got an idea. We'll just never say it. If we don't say it, we can't take it in vain. It's what we call the hedge about the law. How did Israel make sure they didn't do work on the Sabbath? Well, we defined work. You could pick up this much, but not this much. You could walk this far, but not that far. You could do this, but you couldn't do that. It's the hedge. The extra laws, what is it, 619? 13. I know it's in there somewhere. So read the Talmud, it'll do you good, right? <laughs> no, no, don't read the Talmud. It, it might do you some good, but unless you're really into your Old Testament, it will not do you good. No, Torah is the first five books of Moses. Different. Don't, just forget I said that. It'll, it'll just confuse you more. <laughs> this is what we call the hedge about the law. They even did it with this. So the typical phrasing were the consonants, because Hebrew is such a weird language, you get consonants written right to left on the line, and then your vowels are written typically underneath the consonants. It's very fun. So you got to read it right to left and top to bottom. But sometimes the vowel is put in the middle of the word, and sometimes it's put above the word, but most of the time it's below the word. So what they would do is they would put the consonants for Yahweh in the text, but they would put the vowels for Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord, on the bottom. So you would see that, stop, realize that this was the name of God, and you would pronounce it as Adonai. That way you couldn't possibly take the name of the Lord God in vain. Good in theory. Terrible in practice, because what have we just done to God in our relationship? We've added something, haven't we? 
We've separated ourselves. This is not meant to be. This is my name forevermore. This is my memorial name to all generations. God's name is meant to be a declaration of his eminence and his transcendence. And if you have no, if you have no idea what I just said, in theology, we talk about an imminent and a transcendent God, meaning God is transcendent. He is beyond us. We cannot comprehend him. We cannot fully understand him because his ways are higher than our ways. But he is also imminent. He is near to us. He cares. He sees. He works. He operates. He hears our prayers. He, he bears our problems. He works within our faults. He does all of these things because he loves us. And we, one of the ways we know this is that we can actually call him by name. How sad that we took that and threw it away. We don't realize what we've lost in that. This is why parents, how many of you had your children call you by your first name? <laughs> they tried it at one point, right? <laughs> they all, we, we, because we, growing up, I had one friend. You, most of us had like that one friend whose parents, like the hippie parents, at, at least in the 80s you did. There was always that one family where like they called the kids, called their parents by name, and you were just like, I would die. Like not because I would just physically die, because my father would physically kill me. Like, there's, there's a respect, there's a reverence that separates. I don't get to walk in and look at Dad and go, hey, Chuck, hang on, I gotta go pick my head up. No, it doesn't work like that. It's Dad. That's just, that was just how it was. Because it's different. There's a separation there. Now, with us and God, there is a separation. But God bridges that and says what? I have a memorial name forevermore to all generations. This is the prayer at the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. It doesn't get any closer than that. Who knows your thoughts? You do. What's the psalmist saying? Me and God. If there is any hurtful way in me, lead me in the everlasting way. My pages are stuck together. We lose this when we get so uncomfortable with the name of God that if every, every time somebody says Yahweh, you kind of twitch a little bit. And I'll be honest, as someone who has spent years studying theology, I do that. When someone else says it, it's like, oh, like you're waiting for the lightning to strike. Like, is something bad going to happen to him because he did that? And the answer is no. God calls us to do this because he is near. Now, notice something else. How careful has Exodus been to make this point? How many times in the first three chapters have we been making the point that God is near? He is involved. He is connected to his people, and he knows what's going on, and he is concerned about it. This is that repeated refrain. This is not just God standing on high, that I am bigger than Egypt, and I will crush them with the might. This is a loving, caring father to these people who is guiding them and walking with them and shielding them. Remember that as we go through, because it's going to be very tempting to make that distinction and only focus on the transcendence of God, the bigness, and lose the closeness in his eminence. So, verse 16. Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, Yahweh, Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Verse 17. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and to the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. There are too many ites. To a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, Notice the unified front in verse 16. Who is Moses going to? All the elders. 
Who's going to hear this message? Everyone. Because once they tell the elders, what are the elders going to go do? They're going to go tell everyone in their clan who's going to go tell their neighbor. Everybody is going to hear this message. We're going to be told, and then we're all going to go. Why? How is God going to lead these people? Psalm 23 again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Does the shepherd stand on the hill and be like, no, dumb sheep, go down. No, that's what you send the dog for. <laughs> the dog is the extension of the shepherd. The shepherd isn't standing two hills away waving his stick going, stupid sheep, why don't they listen to me? Where is he? If, if need be. You get, you get that? Like playing hockey or something. And then if they get really far out of line, that's when you send out the dog, right? What does the dog do? He nips at your heels, he growls at you, gets you back in line. And when it's done right, you ever watch the competitions? You, if you've ever been bored on like ESPN 17, they used to do this. They actually have like the Scottish Highlands and in the, in the, in, 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 in England. Say that three times fast. They do this with competition where the guy is training the dog and giving the dog commands, and they literally move sheep from one pen, like over the, over the hill, across the valley, and into another pen. And it's the weirdest thing because the shepherd's, and that dog is just, but what are the sheep doing? They're moseying right along because the shepherd has commanded. The work will be done, and the sheep will be led. They get this. This is who their God is. By the way, drawing your straight lines again. Why do you think Jesus described himself the way that he did? John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What was the call of the good shepherd? Go to Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Why does the shepherd put them into the corral? Because it's safe in there. It's good for them. And why does he lead them out? Because it is now safe out here, and it is good for you out here. So you follow because what he does for you is good. All of this based upon the attributes, the existence, and the work of God, both now, like New Testament then, and even going all the way back to Exodus, things like 1 John 2. Children. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, the offering who appeases the wrath of God. That's what propitiation means. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for all those of the whole world, all of those who would believe. Now, this is who God is. This is what God does. And if you had the thought that in the middle of this, you know, I'm just not sure God can pull this off. One, you haven't read enough of your Bible. Two, God continues, verse 18. They will pay heed to you. This is the elders of, of Israel. They will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt. This is good. They're going to hear. They're going to listen, and we're all going to join arms and go together. Go team. And you will say to him, the Lord, so Yahweh, Elohim of the Hebrews, has met with us. Wait a minute, that was odd. So now please, let us go three days journey in the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Does that make any sense? 
if you've been following along the first three chapters of Exodus. How are they identifying God? Did you catch it? Made a point to stop. The Lord God of the Hebrews? Is that all he is? Is that deliverance? Three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to our God? Is that rescuing us from the power and might of Egypt? Is that even a good opening negotiation tactic? Like, if you walk in and the guy's asking $10,000 for something and you want to pay eight, do you offer him 12? <laughs> no, because now he's started where? Oh, good, you're going to start 12, but I, offer, I asked for 10. All right, fine, 15. Now we're going the wrong way. Typically in a negotiation, you ask for a lot, then you get a counteroffer, and then you come back to the middle, right? What is God's asking for the bare minimum here? Does that make any sense in delivering his people? And the answer is no. But it does if you remember who's in charge, who's working, and who will accomplish this. God is going to build up to the demands. In, in apologetics, in, def in defending the faith, what we like to do is what we call removing the excuse. So the reason why we use evidence is not because you will be convinced by evidence. You won't. Like, I could make the argument for the self-existence of God and the, the rationality of belief in God and the, and the reasonableness of believing that there is a God. And somebody might go, okay, you know what? It's reasonable to believe that there's God. Have I converted them? Have they changed? Are they going to repent of their sins and trust in Christ? No. We don't do that because it changes their mind. We do that because it removes the excuse. Well, I don't have to believe in God because belief in God is unreasonable. Okay. See, it's reasonable. Okay, then they go to something else. We're removing the excuse, hopefully getting down to what eventually? What's the reason people don't believe? I don't want to. Because <laughs> who's in charge of me? I am. And if I repent and trust in Christ, then he's going to be in charge of me. And no. So we have to remove all those other excuses before we can get to the root of the problem. I had to do this years ago in a Bible study. I use the air quotes Bible study loosely because... It was being held by, you want to talk about, I, this is, it's like a bad joke. Like when somebody looks at you and goes, a priest, a, a, a priest and a rabbi walk into a bar. It was one of these things. Because I got invited, I still don't know why or how, to a Bible study held by a retired Baptist pastor who didn't believe the Bible. I don't know how that worked. A, a non-practicing ethnic Jew. A guy who goes to the Church of the Brethren. It is a joke. A Presbyterian pastor and a Methodist pastor. Yeah, it's, it's like, and we didn't walk into a bar. We walked into a church Bible study. And the two guys leading it, their whole thing was, we have to reinterpret the whole Bible. Because it was led by the, the non-Bible-believing Baptist and the Jewish guy. We don't listen to anything in the Bible, so when Paul tells you don't do this, he doesn't really mean that. What he really means is this. And I went for six weeks. Because I'm weird and a glutton for punishment. And I argued with these guys for six weeks. And it, the last meeting we had, the, the guy finally admitted, he goes, you know what? I, I don't agree with you, but everything you're telling me is being argued from Scripture. That's your authority. <laughs> yes, and what is your authority? And he said, I am. We're done here. We have gotten to the place where you are no longer going to argue the Bible with me because you don't believe it. Now we've gotten somewhere. I was looking forward to the next week, and that's when they canceled. I'm like, mm, this close. 
that's what we do. We eliminate. Yeah, they were tired of putting up with me, I think. Like, this guy won't leave. Like, don't you have anything better to do? Nope. <laughs> it's Tuesday afternoon. I'm good. <laughs> we remove the excuse. We get down to the root problem. Now that we have the root problem, we can address it with a biblical solution. See, that's what the world is worrying against. That's what you're seeing here. See, as this goes along and God demands that you let my people go, you can't sit there and say, well, if you had simply asked for a couple of days out to go sacrifice, I'd have given you that. No, you wouldn't. If you had all come to me together, I'd have given you that. No, you wouldn't. If you had left all the elders at home and you had come to me by yourself, I'd have given you that. No, you wouldn't. All the excuses are gone, so what are we down to? We are down to God dealing with his people. God is not only going to do this that in that direction, but he's going to do all of this negotiating in the wrong direction. God is going to buy something for free after offering $15,000 to start with. <laughs> so he's going to go in and say, I'll give you $15,000. No, fine, I'll give you fourteen. dollars No, thirteen. dollars No, I'll take it from you. All right, fine. That's how this negotiation will go. Proving what? His power and his authority. What's going on in the big picture? Proverbs chapter uh, 21. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Who is in charge of Pharaoh? God is. Who is in charge of Israel? God is. Who is the power in Egypt? God is. Proving what? Draw your line to the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Same redemption that's going on in Exodus is the same redemption that is accomplished in Christ. It's the same redemption that is applied to his people even today. If you'd like, we can put this musically. It's always dangerous, isn't it? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Fast forward all the way down to verse 5. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. That's what he does. Why is that set to music like that, that I sing badly? And I apologize for that, but that's what you get. Because it's the same work. The same power that is at work at Calvary is the same power that is at work here in the Exodus. It is the same power that redeems the people of God because it is based upon who God is because who he is is what steers and guides what he does. The same is true for us. This is why you get all of those passages in the New Testament about a renewed mind, renewed heart, new life, new spirit, new you because in your old manner of life. You walked according to that which controlled you, the sin that entangles, that which held you down. You desired and lived for those things, so you walked in them. If I want to change what you do, I first have to change how you think. And if I want to change how you think, the best way to do that is simply to change who you are. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. New heart, new nature, new mind, new life.
That's how this works. That's what you're going to see on display here because as we walk through Exodus, Israel's not getting that transformation. They're getting the work without the transformation. And that's why you're going to see them turn into bratty toddlers on a road trip when they're walking in the wilderness. Because they can't. They just don't have any means. This is one of the lessons of Exodus. Why does this redemption not change the people, but Christ's redemption does? The completed work of the Holy Spirit. It matters and changes things. So, verse 19. Remember this later on. I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. We're going to need to remember this later on because of things like Job 42. What was Job's response after God goes for 38, 39, 40, and 41, basically saying, who do you think you are? And Job's response, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, the beginning of Job saying for five verses, my bad, my bad. Does God want a battle with Pharaoh? Yes. He does. He he absolutely wants it. He wants a battle of will, power, and might with Pharaoh. Because who's going to win? How do you know that? Yeah, but how do you know it? I mean, I can sit there and say, I have power. I can go beat up Mike Tyson right now. See, what's your first thought? See, he's like, I, exactly, show me. I want to see this. Suddenly we're all from Missouri, right? What's the state motto of Missouri? What is it? It's the show me state. Suddenly we're all, we're all from Missouri right there. As if I looked at you and be like, I can dunk. Be like, here's a basketball. There's a court right over there. Let's set up chairs. I want to see this. This is what you get. Why does God go through this? Why does God go through the flood? There's a warning that wrath abides against sin. How do I know what that looks like? Oh, that's what it looks like. He delivers his people. How do I know that? Because Abraham can rescue Lot. God can rescue Lot from Sodom. God can deliver Abram even from his sin in Egypt and his sin in the land and all the things that he gets wrong. God can still work and deliver him. God can control these things and organize to deliver his people. How do I know that? Because he did it with Joseph. He pulled him out of the well. He raised him up to power in Egypt and he used that power and authority to rescue his people. God can redeem them from the power of the Egyptians throwing them into Nile. How do I know that? He did it with Moses. How do I know God can do this? How do I know he's bigger than the boogeyman that is the Pharaoh of Egypt? Because he's going to show you. He is going to shine in the midst of this. This is Psalm 111, 1 through 4. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Why can the psalmist say all that? Because he can look at Israel's history and see what? All of those things. So we're picking the fight. Verse 20, how's that fight going to end? So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. This is why he's not afraid of the fight. He's going to win. He's going to win. This is why I don't get afraid of playing basketball with my children. Because if I want to, what can I do? I can win. They're this tall. <laughs> I win. There's no worry. God doesn't fear the fight because God is going to win the fight. And in winning the fight, he will demonstrate who he is, what he can do, and how he redeems and works amongst his people. Isaiah 45, I am the Lord, and there is no other. 
Besides me, there is no God. This will be demonstrated in the plagues. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Have you ever thought about that? How do you create darkness? <clears throat> Think about this for a second. Think about what you know of God. Think about what you know about the creation and what happens in Genesis 1. If God is there, and the scripture tells us he dwells in unspeakable light, and he is able to make the vegetation before the sun, and he is able to sustain them because of the light of his presence, if he's able to make it bright in Goshen when it is dark in the rest of Egypt, God has no darkness. So when we have the idea of darkness, what had to happen? At some point, God had to make darkness. How do we make darkness? We have to get rid of light. Can God turn his light off? <laughs> Think about this. This is why we talk about this is the transcendence of God. Because if you can wrap your brain around this, God bless you. Because I got nothing. Good, good, good job. We'll wait for the blood, for the bleeding to start in the years, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a separation and a distinction so that darkness will exist because if God were here, the glory would shine and there would be no darkness. I don't know how that works, but it does because I live here and it functions that way. That's a simple little description that we gloss over, but think about how big what that says about God and how powerful and how much forethought and planning has gone into all that he has done. We have the audacity to think he doesn't see, doesn't care, and isn't at work in our lives. Every time we have that thought, you know what we should do? Bad. Like, rolled up newspaper like you're, like you're training a puppy. Like, you know, back yourself in the nose if you can. That's a funny image. Come on now. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'll whack you in the nose with it. I read Carolyn's mind. <laughs> Take the same idea. Draw your line to the New Testament. Same teaching. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so starting on the inside, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. See, we just took that idea of transcendence and brought it where? Right down to the individual. What's Paul's prayer? That you would be so full of the knowledge and love of God that you would recognize that as his child, you are literally in communion, one with him. This is what is on display. This is what God is demonstrating to his people, what he will prove by his work. And then finally, 21 and 22. We'll get 21 first. Because that's how numbers work. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Time out. Why not? Why not? Here's another line we'll draw forward. What is God demonstrating about himself? John 10 again. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You know the next part, right? I came that they may have life and have it 
abundantly. When God delivers his people, is he just going to boot them out into the wilderness with nothing? No. Could he? Yes. Could he boot them out into the wilderness with nothing and then make everything for them? Yes. So why not do that? Believe it or not, this is more powerful. This is actually more powerful, and I'll demonstrate it from the New Testament in Mark 2. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, this is the friends with their paralytic friend, they removed the roof above him, above Jesus, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they still missed it. Immediately, Jesus, aware of his spirit, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? Now, time out. Don't think of that as an ease of speech. What's easier to tell the guy, Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? Which one's easier to prove? No, it's much easier to prove that you can get up and walk. So if you bring me the paralyzed guy and I say, your sins are forgiven, well, what good does that do? But if I say, get up and walk, if he can get up and walk, what have I done? I've healed him. I've proven it. I have demonstrated it. Jesus didn't do that. He said, your sins are forgiven. If your sins are forgiven, sin has been removed. What should have happened? What should happen next? Sin and the consequences are taken away at that moment, and he can get up and walk. This is why they're wondering. He's taking the harder road, not the easier one. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up immediately, picked up the pallet, and went out in the sight of everyone. So they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. He started with the harder and then proved it with what was easier, for him anyway. What's easier? Kick them out with nothing? and then make everything for them, or change the hearts and minds of the hateful Egyptians to give them things. See, that's the harder thing, is to change the inclination of a person, to take the racist and make him love and care about his neighbor. Even out of fear, even out of anything. Just, here, just take my stuff and get out. <laughs> that's the harder thing. Hence, God will do it. Therefore, every woman, verse 22, shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and your daughters. Thus, you will plunder the Egyptians. Willingly. Willingly. Because God will have changed their minds because of his mighty work. Thus demonstrating his power over who? Everyone. After demonstrating his power over everything in the plagues. Go back to Psalm 111 and pick up where we left off. He has given food to those who fear them. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. See, God will do this. God will do all of these things so that there will be no doubt. Go back to Isaiah 45. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone, has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, Every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who are angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. See, this is what the New Testament writers are talking about when they take that and they draw their line. 
And they say of Christ, what Paul says in Philippians 2, that what? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. This is what you see in Revelation when the judgment of God comes. What are those being judged proclaiming? That the Lamb has power and might and judgment and woe to him who falls. Who can stand? Who can deliver us? Who can war? This is what gets proven over and over and over in Scripture. Because once again, God will leave no doubt. Because there can be no doubt because who stands against him? None. What plan of his will be stopped? None. He is who is. He is and was and is to come. He always has been. He is and he always will be. Therefore, what he has planned, he has not forgotten. Where he is going, he has not lost sight of. And we can rest in that. This is the reminder and why Exodus is still in your Bible. Because believe it or not, some people get mad at me when I say things like this, but believe it or not, these things are written not just for so that Israel in their nation could look back and go, man, look at what God did for our people. Look at what we can remember. This is written so we can look back and say, look at what God did for his people. Look what he has done. Look what he is still doing. This is the beauty of the church. We don't live in the same neighborhoods. We didn't grow up in the same places. We don't have the same jobs. We don't do any of the same things, but we are one in Christ. Because his work goes beyond those things. Goes beyond those things. I have more in common with you guys than I do the people I grew up with who knew me for years, the people I went to school with. Because they live lives, it's like, I don't even know who they are. And they look at me, and oh, you should see when they look at me. Like, I was a terror. <laughs> they look at me, and they're like, who is that guy? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, because it's not the one you know. That's a joy, because I can look back and see, look what God did. Why do I not doubt? Because I can look at what he did. I see where I am. And like, I've, I've made this joke, like, if you had 2020 on your bingo card and you had global pandemic, like, nobody had that, right? If you had asked me when I was 17, 18 years old on my bingo card what I'd be doing for a living, and I told you this, I would have laughed so hard I probably wouldn't have lived. Like you'd had to call the ambulance to come get me oxygen because I'd be doing that. <gasps> I can't stop laughing, but I can't breathe either. But God is good, and he is mighty, and he changes us. And the danger that we have is the same danger that Israel faced, is the longer you're in the world, the longer you become of the world. And that's the reason for the call. That's the reason for the changing of the Egyptians to give. That's the reason for the war against Pharaoh. That's the reason for the plagues. That's the reason for the Red Sea. It's the reason for all of that is so that they would see that this God knows, cares, loves, and works. Because every problem he overcomes. Every, we're sitting there whining, and griping, and complaining. We got nothing. He's got everything. Christian, none of that has changed. We just define what we need based on what we want. And that becomes the problem. We have to get a lot more comfortable with our needs being met and our stance being in Christ and his kingdom and not in the world's. Because if you haven't noticed, this world's getting awful interesting. I'm going to look forward to the news in a couple of hours because there is a, um, there is a large church in California that could be in some interesting trouble today. You see, California's back under lockdown again, right? Have you seen that in the news? Yeah. Well, uh, 
churches are closed. In California today, churches are closed. Um, I know this one because I have in my hands a, uh, a John MacArthur study Bible. I like his study notes. They make my life a little bit easier as I go back and forth. John MacArthur is actually the pastor of Grace Community Church outside of Los Angeles, California. They wrote a letter last uh, yesterday, day before, and they told the state of California no. State of California said, you're closed. They and their four, th- four or 5,000 members said, no. No, we're not. And they're going to be open today. I know they do an 11 o'clock service, so that's uh, two hours behind us, so that would be um, 1 o'clock our time, so we're coming up on it. That's an interesting discussion that's going to be had. Churches in Nevada lost their Supreme Court case the, uh, the other day. Casinos can be open. Churches can't have more than 50 people. There's coming a point very, very quickly where we are going to have to be smart We are going to have to be wise in this world, and we're going to have to be willing to say no. And it's coming sooner than I thought it ever would, and it's coming faster than I ever imagined. This is why you are warned by Peter, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, because when the time comes, you will not have time to prepare. We have to determine whom we serve, why we serve, and what that looks like because a lot of the avenues are going to go away excuse me and they're going to change and i got bad news for you because you know who's going to end up going to jail first don't you (laughs) me (laughs) i'm not looking forward to this but i have a bad feeling it's coming regardless of what happens in november because the last time i checked we we had more republican supreme court nominees than democrats and We had a Republican Senate and a Republican president, and yet we're still telling churches no. I'm all for being reasonable. Look at our seating. I know you want your spot back. Be quiet. (laughs) You'd be okay. Yes, you would. I'm all for being reasonable and and taking precautions, but who are we ultimately responsible to? God. Who are you responsible to? That's why when I sent you that letter, I told you, if you're comfortable, come back. If you're not, don't. Just let me know, because that way we can keep calling you and checking in on you, because you're still one of us, even if you cannot safely be here. We don't ever forget that. But I think we can safely be here, and thus far, I think we've demonstrated it for almost two months now. (laughs) Knock on wood, because things change. But you know what? If they change, they'll change because of who? Because of God. And we'll deal with that when it comes, knowing that if that's how God chooses, chooses to change us or bring us home, that that's good for us. may not be fun, but it will be good for us. Knowing that if persecution comes in this world, it will be good for us. may not be fun, but it will be good for us. How do I know that? Was that fun? Were the plagues fun? Was living in Egypt under labor fun? No. Was it good for the people? Yes, because God allowed it. Was Moses' life fun? No, they were stubborn. Pharaoh was stubborn. Israel was stubborn. Moses was stubborn. But it was good for him. Because all that comes from our loving, caring God is good for us. For the building up of the body, for the building up of our hearts and minds and souls, so that we would live rightly and glorify him. Because that's the charge we're given. And that's what remembering who he is guides us to. Because when I remember that he's bigger, I'm not afraid of you. Because I have him on my side. And when I remember that he's close... I definitely don't have to be afraid of you because he's here. 
and there's nothing that he has given that you can take. And that's a comfort, and that's a challenge, because I need to walk in the world with that knowledge and reality. If we lose it, we're going to look a lot like you know, the Israelites in that wilderness. But if we remember it, we start looking a lot like the apostles in the book of Acts, standing firm, glorifying God, growing his kingdom, being faithful servants, and, and knowing that our end is Christ. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the demonstrations that you've given, for the reminders that you have provided, for the lessons that you teach, that where we fall short, you have built up, and where we are lacking, you have given in abundance, that what we need is what you provide, and what you provide is good for us in your kingdom. Lord, change our hearts, change our minds, that even in you, that we would have focus on you, knowing that our lives are to be lived to the glory of your name, to the glory of your great kingdom. Because you walk with us, you have empowered us to accomplish your work, and that our end is ultimately in your throne, in your kingdom, worshiping, praising, safe from harm, redeemed. Lord, we long for that day, and we pray that you will bring it soon. And until then, strengthen us to trust in you as we walk. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Chip. quick reminders remember mike this uh next day or so as you're praying if he doesn't pass that stone today they're taking it out tomorrow morning um keep praying for sam also for uh for vi and also remember louise if you get a chance um she's not really able to to be with us at this time so and i don't know if she will be with some of the health issues so if you get a chance you think about louise send her a prayer and give her a call and just kind of check in on her 
and be uh, good for us and good for her. And anything else that you know about, send us a message. If you can't get Pray to Work, let me know or let Clark know, and, and we'll get it out to people so folks know what's going on. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this all out. So let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave, ground us in your word, that we would know you and all that you have done, and that we would rest there, that we would walk faithfully, trusting in you, knowing that you are the one who upholds. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.